Good morning. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together, book by book, chapter by chapter. Here we are in Isaiah chapter 49, a very emotional chapter. This poetic language uses the metaphor of a woman who has been abandoned or feels like she's been forgotten. Uh, one who says, what What do I have to look forward to? I'm not going to have children. I don't have a husband. This very pitiable, uh, just difficult situation, but then one that is totally turned around because, yes, the husband is still there. She has not been forgotten. She's going to have so many children. She's not going to know what to do with them all. There's going to be a huge reversal and lots of blessing. Uh, there's this language to describe the reversal that comes from leaving exile. The exile is going to be undone. God's people will not be in vain, but they will be better and stronger and more glorious than they ever have been. Like So very, very cool chapter, very powerful language here. And it's realistic language that really kind of, I think, accepts the, the realities and the difficulties of life and speaks to us in a way that we can certainly relate. So lots of things to look forward to in Isaiah chapter 49. And joining us today, this might throw you off. Um, we are talking about Isaiah 49, but nonetheless, we have our Psalms expert, Pastor Kevin Parviz, a pastor of Congregation Haiva Shalom from St. Louis, Missouri. Look, we're looking at a prophet here. It's it's not a psalm. What's going on? But it's good to have you in any case, brother. Good morning. Good morning, AJ. It certainly threw me off. <laughs> yes, but you know, I mean, it's it's not really like a totally different genre, is it? I mean, there are there are laments, and there there are these sorts of um, you know poetic sections that are somewhat similar in the psalms as well. Oh, you bet, you bet. And these, all these, uh, and of course, it's still the word of God and coming through a prophet instead of a psalmist, but the psalmists are prophets too, so. That's right. That's right. Did you have a happy Thanksgiving, brother? I did. It was a nice weekend and good, great worship on Sunday and great worship on Thursday and good food in between. So how bad very, could it be? <laughs> very, very good. Very good. I, I really do enjoy um, that a lot of our churches get together for Thanksgiving, either Thanksgiving Eve or the day of Thanksgiving. Cause I mean, you're, if you're going to give thanks, I mean, who, who are you giving thanks exactly, to? You know? Exactly. I'm always stymied by all these people who want to give thanks to, to nothing. It's what do you think? Who are you thanking for the provision right. other than God himself? And so we always have a Thanksgiving day, 10 o'clock service. And it's a joy to get together on that day. It seems like a natural thing. Indeed. Well, so Isaiah 49 here, uh, it, it's really one that, I mean, and we're actually, we're not even really going to be done with it. Isaiah 50 continues this, so we're going to have to go into the same um, topic. We're going to kind of finish that off tomorrow, but paving the way for us here. And really, it, it is a, a decent transition here. I mean, you know, with uh, 48, you know, like, you know, leave Babylon, get out from Chaldea, it, it was very much kind of... Uh, I don't, I don't know. I think kind of working on the people's skepticism. I think there's some criticism. There was some like a critical tone that was still present. But in this chapter here, I mean, it's just all it's just all hope um, in a desperate situation. I, th I think it comes out a lot more sympathetically and a lot more tenderly than the previous chapters. Yeah, and of course, there's uh, there's the redemption of the faithful and the 
punishment of the wicked, uh, all of that in this chapter. And, and I'm always stymied because as I uh, share with uh, people, especially Jewish people, uh, you know, everybody always wants to go to Isaiah 53. Um, but we have here in Isaiah 49, this is the beginning of sort of sort of the the servant um, motif that most Jews who argue with me about this would say that Israel, the nation, is the servant. And I don't see how you can read this honestly and see that. Uh, they are certainly the ones being served by the servant, but the servant is is God himself. Right. Yeah. So that is going to be the thing that's a little bit tricky. There's lots of language about, you know, servant, and we've seen that so far in Isaiah. Like, the, there's a lot of talk about the servant, and, um, and and there is, of course, a strong identification with uh, the people as the, the embodiment of this servant. But mm-hmm. is there is there more? So those are the things we'll be looking at today and trying to figure out, you know, can, can you maybe read this on multiple levels here um, and not just even one of them? But... Let's go ahead and dive into it. Well, in go fairness, ahead. just uh, just to put a cap on that conversation, he calls Israel his servant. The, right. Back in 20, you have the Lord has redeemed his servant Jacob and then gives us this Exodus language as we go right. into 49. But then we get some really interesting sort of personal detail that uh, Isaiah is, prof- is prophesying forward. Right. So that, that, that'll that be the stuff that we'll have to put our heads together and see what we can come up with. So looking forward to it. Good to have you as always. Would you start us off with a prayer for us and for everyone listening today as we get started? You bet. Abba Father, we thank and praise you for this new day. And we thank you, Lord, that you've given us this medium of the radio and the Internet to uh, share your word. And we pray by your Holy Spirit that those who are hearing and for Pastor AJ and myself, that you would just anoint our hearts anew for understanding, and that through this text and through this uh, broadcast, Lord, uh, many would be saved. And Father, that we would, those who are, grow up uh, to be the children that you are calling us to be, B'Shem Yeshua, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, let's get started here, perhaps with well, let's maybe we'll just take a smaller chunk. Just do the first four verses and, and try to take stock of, okay, this really is a, a different section, different sorts of language. So what, what kind of section are we looking at? So let's pick it up with the first four verses here of Isaiah chapter 49. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named my name. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. And he said to me, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity. Yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. All right, so it, it's really striking language, I think, I mean, for a couple of reasons, right? One, there's the weapon language, you know, um, you know, like I'm a weapon in God's hands is, is kind of the, the metaphor that we're working with. But, but also the other aspect is, you know, I, I've been called from the womb, you know, it's like the language of the, the prophets. I mean, like Jeremiah talks that way, right? Sure. And, and of course it is, um, and we, of course, we just heard before the broadcast, all of the, 
I suppose, good news about the reducing number of abortions. And, of course, this I have known you from your mother's womb language. God creates us and and gives us purpose and calls us by name even prior to our birth. And uh, and that's what the imagery is here. And, I, you know, we have to take Isaiah as a whole, too, even though it's two sections uh, of, of, you know, and there's, you know, you have a lot of, historical critical scholars who will say these are two different isaiahs of course i don't i don't hold to that uh but i look at this in light of isaiah 7 as well and i don't think we can we can separate those two things Mm, right yeah no there's this whole mother language and the calling forth from a yeah yeah no like a lot of the the same sorts of images and metaphors are are definitely uh used in the second second section here and i mean there are definitely two se- sections and you've definitely got um you know a focus on a different situation we're not talking about assyria anymore <laughs> that's for sure but yeah there's um there's a lot of connections and actually the one that struck me um uh, was was very uh, nearby there and of course there's you can go all the way back to the first section but even in the second section here this language of the Lord called me from the womb. We saw that just last week when we were looking at Isaiah 46. It was in 46 that we had, I think it was in verse, yeah, it was verse 3 of 46. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, all the remnant of the house of Israel who have been born by me from before your birth, carried from the womb. You know, and so there was, there's this language of, you know, you, you remnant, you know, you feel like you've been, you know, cast aside, like you've been forgotten about, but I've been bearing you guys since before you were born. I have not forgotten you. Even when you were just being formed, I had this purpose in mind. Uh, I mean, it's, it's very, it's very tender language. You know, and it continues in, in verse 46, we read, even to your old age, I am he, and to the gray hairs, I'll carry you. I have made and I will bear this language of, you know, you, you feel like you're, you're, you're cast aside and you've come to nothing. There was, there was that language we saw, right? Like I've labored in vanity. I think it was mm-hmm. in verse, verse four, but you know, on the contrary, this, all this well, from the womb language is God's way of saying, I've never forgotten about you, not even for a second. But then of course we have the second half of that particular text, which seems a little bit more, um, personal from the body of my mother he named my name mm-hmm. and i and i love that language uh, and of course uh, we know that when mary was visited we have uh, the naming of jesus before he was even born so right so so right so so there there's are our, our multiple levels here right on the one hand this is talking about you know the same situation that's been developing for a few chapters here that you know this this remnant um, God is speaking tenderly to and saying, you have not been forgotten. I have a particular purpose for you. But that gets embodied in a big way with our Lord Jesus Christ, who, I mean, really, I mean, you think about it, uh, there's like another exile almost, it seems, under the Romans that, you know, God's people could have easily felt forgotten about again. I mean, sure, they had... um <laughs> You know, they did have something of a temple, you know, going on with Herod. It was it was very impressive, but you know, they weren't they weren't free. You know, what they thought was going to be the messianic kingdom under the Maccabees was put down and destroyed. And every time they tried to, you know, seize liberty again, it was just you know shot down, you know, without any mercy. And so it seemed like they were never going to be able to get out 
from under the thumb of, of their oppressors. And so it's a kind of analogous situation. And out of that, the, the, the remnant is just a person, a single one, just Jesus, as you were saying, who has been given this name and this purpose from even before he's born as Gabriel speaks to Mary. And it's important to note that he must come from the nation of Israel. Mm -hmm. uh, he must come from that same womb, but he is one who who can represent the, the remnant because he is the only one that that is, I mean, you have the last the last verse of 48, there is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. He's the only one who is not. And so he's the only one that can bring that peace. Yeah, 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 that's true. In, in that context we were looking at, you know, it, it, on the one hand means like, hey, guys, get out of Babylon. There's no peace for you here. But it kind of, we I think we've uh, had the quip a couple of times already, but it's like you can take Israel out of Babylon, but you can't take the Babylon right. out of Israel, yeah, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, you have that, like, on the on the spiritual level, you know, like, really, is there, is there any leaving Babylon spiritually? And apart from Jesus Christ, there there isn't. There's always this part of us, you know, it's like uh, I recently rewatched some of uh, Lord of the Rings. It's, it's like Gollum, you know? It's mm -hmm. just like there's always part of you that's just you're just obsessing over the ring of power. But there's this part of you that's just, I mean, self-destructive that... I mean, just wants to uh, turn yourself into a monster. You know, there, there's there's no saving ourselves. Someone else has to come, um, and that has to be God. And, and of course, for Israel, that obsession with national freedom that you right. were talking about started yeah. with Saul, yeah. where they rejected God himself as mm -hmm. our king, and we decided we wanted a, a king that's human, that everybody else can relate to, that we can relate to. And that's when we started this sort of national obsession of this earthly kingdom and lost the concept of our king who is the king of the universe. Right, right, exactly. So so you have this, this deeper spiritual level here, even um, in the beginning, the, the purpose and the rescue and the liberty from sin itself um, in Jesus Christ foreshadowed um, in the in the gathering of God's people out of the out of the exile and the purpose He has for this this remnant, uh, so two two levels in mind mm -hmm. here, and and it continues in in verse five this uh, this kind of multivalent thing going on here. Let, let me go yep. ahead and read through verse seven here, and keep developing this thought in the next three verses. So here's verse five, and now the Lord says. He who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him. For I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, the servant of rulers. Kings shall see and arise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you. So it, it, it's really <laughs> the language. I mean, it's too light a thing that you should be my servant. You know, like just to say, like, basically, like, you know what? I was just going to have you be my servant, but I mean, 
that's so that's such small potatoes here let me give you an even bigger task here i'm going to have you be a light for the nations i mean it just it just gets bigger you know this so this servant here isn't going to just gather the people um but gather all nations well, and this it, is where the uh the first level uh, um, interpretation, I suppose, sort of starts to break down mm. because Israel, though Israel was always called to be a nation of priests who would bring the nations to the knowledge of God. Uh, and of course, they, they failed in that particular task. But this servant, if it's Israel, cannot be the one who's going to bring Israel back. I mean, there's you, if Israel has already not been delivered, how can Israel deliver itself? And and then he goes. Of course, he gives this this mandate for, and my my will is not just for Israel, not just for Jacob, but for all people at all times. I, I agree that the first level trying to get that reading it, it starts to get tricky. And I remember looking at that verse five. You know, it, it's you know it's clearly. The, the the remnant or the servant is clearly identified as Israel back in verse three. It's mm-hmm. named, you are my servant Israel. But then it says you know, in, in verse five that Israel might be gathered to him. And so it's sort of like, no, hang on a second. Is the servant Israel or is the servant gathering Israel? Right. Um, and you, yeah. Yeah, run, yeah, I know. And so you're like, well, now how, how does that work on the first level? I, I think that there is, I, I do think there is a little bit of sense because this is something that I didn't appreciate for a long time, but... You, you, it's easy to forget that even though it feels like when you're reading Isaiah sometimes and, and some of the other books as well, like the entire nation was deported, like there wasn't a single Israelite left in Judah, you know, in the Holy Land. We we do actually know that when the, mm-hmm. is, when, when the remnant got back, when the exiles got back, they found like their, you know, long lost relatives, like sure. there were actually... Um, like remnants of some of these tribes that had been decimated that were still there in the area that had not been exiled and sent off to Babylon. So there, there is actually a historical um, kind of multiple levels going on where this remnant comes back and reconstitutes the people, gathers all these people who had been kind of living on the, the fringes here and reconstituting them as a people. And you see that in a big way with Ezra because we, we find out they've been mixing um, with the nations, they aren't really living like Israelites anymore. Um, yeah, and even I mean, if, Ezra, even if they hung on. Ezra begins to cry. Uh, yeah. You know, so, and, and when they discover the, the scrolls of the law again and read it before the people, the people cry out. Yeah. 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 Right. So, so yeah. So that, that's the thing. It's like there are sort of Israelites left in, in the Holy Land, you know, but they're not living that way. They've mm-hmm. kind of forgotten who they are. Um, and, and, it, and the theme of forgetting, of course, is really big in this chapter. So there is, there is, I think, this level of you know, Israel is going to regather Israel here, mm-hmm. um, as paradoxical as it might sound. But I think that the the bigger way, the second level that we're talking about, makes perfect sense. Where you've got Israel, the 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 true Israel in Jesus Christ, that He is going to gather Israel to Himself because everyone who's baptized into His name, everyone who follows Him, that's the true Israel. And we find out that that's not just people who can trace their ancestry back to Judah or Asher or you know Gad or Naphtali. That's even going to include the nations who are baptized into His name are now part of Israel. So Paul in Romans 11 is really writing a commentary on this particular section of Isaiah. <laughs> right. And yeah. the struggle, of course, there is to determine which Israel Paul is talking about. 
Mm, sure. Not all of Israel is Israel. So, <laughs> yeah. 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 No, no. Yeah. Right. No, that's right. It's kind of like when you're looking at uh, Paul and you, you see the word law, right? And you're like, oh, no, it's the word law. You know, are we yes. talking about the first five books of the Bible? Are we talking about that condemning word of judgment? Are we talking about kind of all of God's teaching? There's always there's always kind of multiple levels to these things. Yeah. But um, but to not miss the forest for the trees here, it's it's clear that there's this this work of redemption going on in verse seven. You know, the, the redeemer of Israel and his holy one, and in the language there, I mean, it's it's really something, right? To one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation, of course, um, that's exactly how the the exiled community felt, like they were despised. The um, the first uh, the the old translation of the Old Testament here actually has to the one who despises his life. Um, yeah, that that probably fits their situation, describes them. But to think about, you know, when we when we have our Passion Week and our, our Holy Week observances with, with Good Friday, you know, how this just rings true of our Lord Jesus that, you know, as popular as he might have seemed to be at first, that when, when we got to that, that Good Friday, how he was deeply despised, how he was abhorred, how he was um, made a servant of rulers, but then how that was all reversed um, come Easter. Yeah. And he was revealed to be the king of kings. <clears throat> so we have we have definitely that, that second level coming through in a big way there. We only have like a minute or two before our break, but let's go ahead and get this uh, second section going here. So you have these first seven verses setting things up, but then in verse eight here, uh, we take a little bit of a turn. I'm going to read uh, just through verse 12 here just to get us started. So picking it up at verse eight. Thus says the Lord, in a time of favor, I have answered you. In a day of salvation, I have helped you. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people to establish the land, to apportion the desolate heritages, saying to the prisoners, come out, to those who are in darkness, appear. They shall feed along the ways, on all bare heights shall be their pasture. They shall not hunger or thirst, neither scorching wind nor sun shall strike them. For he who has pity on them will lead them, and by springs of water will guide them. And I will make all my mountains a road, and my highways shall be raised up. Behold, these shall come from afar, and behold, these from the north and from the west, and these from the land of Syene. So a lot, a lot of familiar language, I think, the ideas of, you know, the, the rough places being made smooth, the low places raised up, this kind of like, this return from exile language here, the, the shepherding language, you know, that we see in the Psalms, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, having his people pasture on, on the bare heights, you know, there being plenty for them. So it's taking a lot of those things that we're kind of familiar with, but then there's a couple of other things that are somewhat specific, especially in verse 12, like, coming from the north and the west and, um, you know, from the land of uh, Syene or uh, Shinim or, you know, however that's exactly pronounced. Uh, so th those things are kind of a little bit more specific here in what would otherwise be familiar. Well, we have the, the building on the all the nations mm -hmm. from, from the previous section where this, this servant is going to be a light to these nations. So we have the beginning, and then we, we begin here the third level of reading, which, of course, comes in the parousia. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Well, you know, that, that, that's true, right? So as, as much as all of these things can be read in terms of, you know, what happened as God's people were rescued by Cyrus of Persia or what happened as we were all saved in the work of our Lord Jesus, you know, that on a certain in a certain sense, these things are going to happen still, right. you know, and that, you know, we, we certainly... Especially like verse 10, I guess, right? They shall not hunger or thirst, neither scorching wind nor sun shall strike them. I mean, you know, it's easy to say, hey, that's still very much going on right now. When will, when will that end? So, uh, but we should, we should hold that thought here. We have to go into our break, but when we get back, we can uh, continue talking about that, that third level that you just mentioned. Everybody hang with us looking at Isaiah 49 here on Thy Strong Word. Be right back. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233. 800-843-5233. Hi, this is Pastor Mark Azil, the LCMS Director of Campus Ministry and the Chancellor of LCMSU, inviting you to join us right here on Wednesdays at 2 p.m. in the Student Union. If you can't make it, Student Union is always available as a podcast at kfuo.org. Learn more about LCMSU at lcmsu.org. And remember, college is tough. You need Jesus. We'll help. Wednesday afternoon at 2 on KFUO. On the next joy, O come, O come, Emmanuel. The season of Advent is upon us. We'll have music by Bach and Brahms, together with classic Advent hymns and anthems that point us in the direction of Christmas. This is Ron Clem. Join me as we share this great music this week on Joy. Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. on KFUO. Welcome back, everybody, to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're joined today by Pastor Kevin Parviz, pastor of Congregation Chayba Shalom in Dogtown of St. Louis, Missouri. Here in the studio with us, we're looking at Isaiah 49. We just read these verses 7, or I guess it was just 8 through 12 here. Uh, bringing in another, another level of reading this here. Don't want to um, make it too complicated, but I mean, this is kind of how you always read scripture, right? There's always kind of the, the meaning that was kind of in the times before Christ. There's the meaning that's going on in Christ. And there's the meaning that we look forward to, right? So there's, there's kind of always those three levels kind of all the time going on and it's just kind of past, present, future, sort of uh, something like that. 
Um, if you have a question for me or Pastor Parvies, I do invite everyone listening live to call in with any questions or comments here on Isaiah 49. Um, you can also send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. The numbers one 800 or the St. Louis number 314-821-0850. Uh, so the bit that I was uh, just kind of pointing at here in verse 12, you've got, you know, behold, these from the north and the west, you know, um, that, that there's going to be this return from those directions. It, it's kind of striking because normally you don't hear that much about stuff coming from the west because why? Well, because if from the perspective of Palestine, the West is just water, right? right? Yeah, yeah. So chaos, like, no less. Yeah, yeah, right. And so you're like, hang on, what from the West? Um, but but then it mentions their um, Syene or in, in the Hebrew uh, Sinim, and, and so that kind of is something that kind of tips um, tips the hand a little bit. It seems like what's being talked about here is uh, an area in Egypt, and and we do know. Um, well, so, so that's the thing about Egypt. Egypt is southwest of, of, of Palestine. So you can, you can refer to it as uh, coming from the west here anyway. Um, and so we do know historically that when the Babylonians came in and just destroyed everything, and there was, it was the, the, the Babylonian captivity, that there were a number of people who got out, went down south, and they went to Egypt, and um, like we have, it's interesting because they seem to have formed a, a little community down there in different parts of Egypt, and they maintained the use of uh, Hebrew, and they even had um, little uh, portions of the scriptures still. So there, there seems to have been this situation where th there was this um, just kind of this dispersal of this uh, diaspora that happened, and so it seems like on the kind of first level, we're talking about those people coming back and saying, hey, look, we can go back to Judah, right? But of course, it's very interesting then when you compare that to the second and third levels because, well, didn't our Lord Jesus also go away to Egypt for okay. a time, right? Mm -hmm. And then on the third level, like you were just bringing in, brother, I mean, how there's going to be this this great ingathering in in all directions when they're literally will be uh, no more hunger or thirst or no more scorching wind or, or striking sun, like it says in verse 10. Yeah, I mean, this is a great Advent themes we had in our three-year lectionary, Isaiah chapter 2, yesterday, and we have the mountain of the Lord being elevated above everything that has been laid flat. You know, the valleys mm. have been raised, the mountains have been made low, and all the nations are streaming to the mountain of the Lord. And that's uh, kind of what this is a picture of here. In the third right. level, I suppose. Right. Yeah, no, and, and Advent is kind of all about that, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, like Advent is like you're you're looking back, um, you know, kind of on that on that second level, looking at um, you know, how our Lord Jesus, you know, came um in in his a, a lowly and humble way. Um I mean you but you can look I mean back as Paul does, right, to how our Lord Jesus he was there in the Old Testament too, you mm -hmm. know. Like Paul says, like, you know, he was the rock, right? Um, that was there guiding them through the wilderness. But then there's that third level of Advent where we're looking forward to not just, you know, when our Lord Jesus in the past was born of the Virgin Mary, but that one we're going to see Jesus return on the clouds in glory. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's it feels very Advent-like looking at the different comings of the Lord Jesus. 
And we and everything is grounded in the promise of, that was realized in the Exodus. Yeah. Uh, so and, and that's of course you know Paul makes that connection with Jesus and uh, Jesus makes that connection when he institutes the Lord's Supper. Uh, and so you have everything grounded in what has been done. So count on the promises that are still coming because you've seen the promises realized. Right, right. And so even even things like verse 10, where it's like, well, when when was that ever true, that there was no hunger or thirst, right? Well, I mean, you know, it, allow it to be poetic for a second, right? Um, there there were situations where God's people were, were hungry and thirsty, right? Like in the wilderness wandering from the Exodus, right? Um, and God provides, you know, the, the quail. We looked at that um, in Psalm 105, right? Um, in Psalm 105 is merciful enough not to mention the bad part of the quail episode, right, yeah. <laughs> but, but you know, like, so God provides food and, and manna, right. For and, when they needed it or like from, from the rock water comes like a river flowing out. Right. So th there have been these ways, um, you know, along the way that these things have been, have been true. And we look forward to, you know, and there's a helpful note in the ESV on verse 10, um, footnote F where it cites revelation, Seven sixteen, right? When there will be um, a new heaven and a new earth, where there won't even be a need for a sun or a moon, because we'll just have the light of Christ. Yeah, and we're also reminded in Deuteronomy, where Moses is reminding the people before they enter into the Promised Land, "You have neither hungered nor thirsted." Yeah, yeah, yeah that's yeah. right. So that's right. I mean, it's it's all grounded in that promise. That's right. Yeah. So we, we can go back and and see these things in the Exodus or in the return from exile. We can see these things in the ministry of our Lord Jesus. We can see these things in faith in what is to come. So yeah, very, very appropriate for our Advent season, second day of Advent here. Um, let, let's keep making some good progress here. I want to look at this next section because it's, uh, it's just such uh, a poignant metaphor here, a, a woman and her child, you know, and, and we mentioned already the theme of forgetting that, you know, the, the remnants here in exile feels like they've been forgotten, but have they? It's a, it's a key question, the remembering and the forgetting here, a big theme in Isaiah. Let's, let's read this next section here, beginning in verse 13 uh, through, through 18. Sing for joy, O heavens, and exult, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing, for the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. But Zion said, The Lord has forsaken me. The Lord's forgotten me. Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Your builders make haste. Your destroyers and those who laid you waste go out from you. Lift up your eyes around and see. They all gather. They come to you. As I live, declares the Lord, you shall put them all on as an ornament. You shall bind them on as a bride does. Just, just be beautiful language. I mean, it's just, it's so, um, I mean, there's so many things to, to say about it. The, the last verse there, 18, um, again, feels very, very at home in Advent here, right? You shall put them all on as an ornament. Isn't that, mm -hmm. <laughs> isn't that something, right? It's like you're, you're taking all of the, 
the, the sorrows and, and the, the things um, that have been used as um, oppression before, and you put them on as ornaments, which I think is very poetically realized today when we put crosses, among other decorations, right, on our Christmas trees, mm-hmm. right? Like you, you take an instrument of, 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 of death that was used to, um, to, to execute God's people, right, in the times of the yeah. yeah, yeah, and now it's an ornament, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, it's, it's it's really, I mean, it's it's just really perfect for Advent. And, and I am always struck by, especially verse 14, but Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me, my God, yeah. my Lord has forgotten me. How often Israel cries out that the Lord has forgotten me right. when he makes it, I mean, we just, we're studying the book of Daniel in our Sunday morning Bible study. Oh, yeah. And we just finished Daniel chapter six, where Darius just sent forth a proclamation throughout all the lands that he controls, which these returnees are talking about, uh, where he's making, he's asking all people to fear and tremble before the living Lord God, the God of Daniel, who delivered him from the lion's den. And so there's just, you know, this wonderful, I I made the quip that it seems like the beginning of a state religion. But Mm. I noticed that Darius is not requiring the worship of that God, just the fear and trembling of that God. But is that not when we have our, you know, good catechetical, what does this mean? We should fear and tremble before God and love him as well. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, that's right. That's right. The Old Testament uses the word fear to describe um, basically piety, Mm -hmm. uh, basically uh, faith. Really, um, it's kind of the more favorite term for that for that same idea. But yeah, certainly we, we've seen how these uh, foreign rulers, and we talked about this earlier um, here with the way that you have these earlier chapters. Um, I mean, I think it was like what was it around? It was like first uh, or chapter. I'm trying to recall. I think it was around like forty five. That yeah, it was like chapter forty five where there's this language of Cyrus is being used, Cyrus the Persian, mm-hmm. so that he would know and so that all would know that it is God who has given him the power and the authority to do all this, to serve his purpose, right? But we know historically, you know, Cyrus was like, oh, yes, I praise, you know, Nebo and Marduk for mm-hmm. giving me victory and giving me Babylon. And so it's like, you know, we, we know that historically what happens is, you know, these foreign powers, they, they only sort of vaguely get it. They they tend to mix up the true God with the other um, Canaanite gods, right. and they don't really see the distinctions. Um, yet, there is, from from the word of Scripture, we know that there is this little bit of light that manages to go out to the Gentiles in these times, that they that they see that there there is something about the God of Israel, you know, and, and Cyrus goes and he supplies uh, to have the temple rebuilt, and he asks that the people would call in the name of Yahweh to to protect him and uh, protect his son. So, like, there's there's something about, you know, yeah, there is, like that decree of Darius, there is this limited, imperfect, um, but it's still there, acknowledgement of the true God. Yeah, our traditions tell us that these kings from the east or the wise men or whatever yeah. we want to call them uh, are apparently students of Daniel yeah, uh, and and this time in which they've learned about this one living God, and so they've kept the study up, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, I know. I mean, isn't isn't that 
I mean, there is just that idea of, you know, like the, uh, I mean, what was back in verse seven, right? Kings shall see and arise, yeah, right? right? Yeah, that, that, that feels, that feels very much like that, that image, you know, um, you know, exactly like you were saying, whether they're, you know, magi or kings or both or, you know, whatever. Whatever. Uh, yeah. the, the, the point being that there is this light that's gone and it's shining even, even among the Gentiles. And, um, you have that idea there in this section as well. And, and it's very perfect, you know, lift up your eyes around and see. Uh, I mean, that's like the, the hymn that a lot of us sang yesterday, lift up your heads, almighty mm -hmm. gates, right? It's that, that idea, like, look, look up, look what's, look what's happening. You know, it's, it's happening right now. And, and in this context here, you know, your builders make haste. I mean, it seems like what's in view is like, Hey, like it's time to rebuild, you know, like look, look up, like we're going to rebuild the gates of Jerusalem, right? Or all the people who have been, you know, who destroyed it, they're, they're gone. The Babylonians are out of power. I haven't forgotten about you, you know, just even though you think, you know, like, oh, like you were saying, like, it seems like, you know, every, every generation has some, some cry of like, God's forgotten us. But again and again, God shows he's never forgotten us, not even for a moment. Yeah. yeah. And we, we do that today. Unfortunately, we, we have all this, this beautiful provision, but the minute that times get tough, oh God, you forgot me. Where are you? Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and like, it, it's so what's striking to me is that God compares himself to our mothers, right? I mean, like yeah. it's, you know, God's not afraid, uh, to, to use that metaphor. Right. And this is something that is sometimes we, we, we mess up, but, um, I mean, technically if you're being really precise, right. You know, God, the father is not male, right? Male is sort of a biological term. Um, you can say that he refers to himself using masculine language, right? Like he, him, you know, father, right? Um, but I mean, he is, he's spirit. So it's not as if he has like a male body. Um, and so it's, it's entirely appropriate, um, for him to compare himself to, to a woman even as a way of just kind of helping us to understand just how deep his love is. And I, I think that most of us know, you know, even, even though we can all kind of remember a time when our, our mom gave us a look or was really mad with us, <laughs> yeah. probably, probably because we like broke something to pieces on the floor of the kitchen or something like that. Right. Um, we, I don't think many of us are blessed that we can say, we don't really, we, we can't really believe that our mother really ever forgot about us. Mm -hmm. Like we, we, we know that mom, mom, mom always thinks about her kids. Like mom's not ever forgetting about her kids. And it's, it's, it's an amazing connection to see like a mother and her children. And if we can believe that about our mothers, like certainly we can believe this about God who has borne us, you know, from the womb, um, in the most profound of ways, who who knows us even better than our own mothers, who who sees us and loves us and loves us with an even greater and deeper love. So so too he has never forgotten us. Amen. Now we have a Mother's Day theme. <laughs> well, there there you go. That's right. Why don't we read Isaiah forty nine on Mother's right. Day? Hey, make a, make a note right That's now, right. like Mother's Day sermon. <laughs> there we go. Um, yeah, but some some other language too. I mean, like, uh, isn't that interesting? I mean, this this is something, right? Um, Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands, right? I mean, what, what do you what do you make of? of that language. It's, I mean, I, I think this is one that gets me on a couple different levels, but what, what do you see with that? It, it's so hard, of course. I mean, I think back that's, and I can remember a time when I did not believe in Jesus. 
And, of course, the language there is uh, when God holds his hands out to you, you see your name. He's, yeah. he's caring for you. But it's so hard on this side of faith not to see the nail prints, you know? Right. Uh, and yeah. and that's, that's, the, that's the engraving, because he took my sin and was pierced for it. And those, that is the engraving on the palms of his hands now. Um, and and I'm, my Advent series is all about the mighty hand of God. And oh, uh, yeah. so I'm, I'm kind of looking at that whole imagery of the hand and what it means. Of course, Jesus goes to sit at the right hand of God the Father, and there's all right. kinds of right hand language throughout the Scripture. Yeah, I'm not quite solidified all that yet. Not, I don't have to till Wednesday, but um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, but that you know, it's, yeah. it's when God holds His hands out to you, and I right. and I'm always struck by Thomas because that's what Jesus did. He right. held out His right. hands and said, "Yeah, you know," and and yeah, see the yeah. nail prints. Exactly. That's what, that's where my mind goes. Yeah. I can't help but but think about that. I mean, certainly, you have kind of like your your you know level level one kind of reading. You've got language like in Song of uh, Solomon, right? Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a mm-hmm. seal upon your arm. There's these ideas of, you know, seals and, and tassels and, and, you know, like ribbons and bangles and things like this, right? Of, of ways that you, you know, could kind of like literally or more conventionally, you know, put names around your arms or your hands or, you know, like I, I have a wedding ring, right? Mm-hmm. I've, um, I, I tell people this. Like I've, I've got a few rings that I that I wear. Not not many, but um, you know, one's my wedding ring, which is I, I guess you could say in a way is sort of a way that like my wife's name is sort of literally on my hand. I mean, is her um, name I mean, in it, your ring? Well, it's not actually like written there, yeah, but see. like the but the idea being like you know, I mean, that's it's it stands for her, right? Just sure. like the letter the letters you know G A B Y stands for her. Right. This ring stands for her, right? Um, in kind of that kind of more expansive um, kind of sense of, of name, as you were saying, like there's a very expansive sense of the word hand in the Old Testament. So there is with a with a name also in the Old Testament. And so you know, I've got I've got my wedding ring. Sometimes I wear my my university ring. Sometimes I wear this ring that's been in the family a long time. I got from my grandfather. But those rings they remind me of uh, these connections that I have. Really. Um, people that I owe a lot to and that I have a, a certain duty to it's a it's a connection and in a certain way it's sort of like um you know like the, the hands that you have it's like they're kind of like they kind of like belong to that person in a sense you know um, mm-hmm. they're they're for their benefit and so there's kind of that that kind of you know level one reading of you know you know God's got the the, the name Israel you know on on his hands right but then as you were saying I mean wow our Lord Jesus, when he holds his hands out to Thomas, like here, like I, I had it engraved with these nails, yeah, right. your name, right? Your name, it's written in blood mm. on my hands. And that shows you that these hands, I mean, they weren't going anywhere, even when I was on the cross, because they're for your blessing. These are for you. I mean, just a, a beautiful fulfillment that was certainly bigger um, than I think that what the exiles could have anticipated. Absolutely. So, so we a, a lot of amazing things going on here in, in that section leading up to eighteen. I want to make sure that we have time for this last part here. Uh, we can go ahead and, and take it to the end. I think here um, there's there's a there's a lot of a lot of things. I think a lot of it is kind of tying together the images that we've already seen 
Um, but we'll want to alight on a few points here. I've got a couple things highlighted, and I'm sure you do too. But let's pick it up in verse 19 and go ahead and take it to the end here. Surely your waste and your desolate places and your devastated land, surely now you will be too narrow for your inhabitants, and those who swallowed you up will be far away. The children of your bereavement will yet say in your ears, The place is too narrow for me. Make room for me to dwell in. Then you will say in your heart, Who's borne me these? I was bereaved and barren, exiled and put away, but who's brought up these? Behold, I was left alone. From where have these come? Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will lift up my hand to the nations and raise my signal to the peoples, and they shall bring your sons in their arms, and your daughters shall be carried on their shoulders. Kings shall be your foster fathers, and their queens your nursing mothers. With their faces to the ground they shall bow down to you and lick the dust of your feet. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Those who wait for me shall not be put to shame." Can the prey be taken from the mighty, or the captives of a tyrant be rescued? For thus says the Lord, Even the captives of the mighty shall be taken, and the prey of the tyrant shall be rescued. For I will contend with those who contend with you, and I will save your children. I will make your oppressors eat their own flesh, and they shall be drunk with their own blood as with wine. Then all flesh shall know that I am the Lord, your Savior, and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. So just just beautiful gospel language, a lot of things going on. I, I love in that first section going through verse 21, how it's like, it's cool poetry because it's like, you're going to have so many kids, you won't know where to put them all, right? Which is like, uh, of course, in our, it's unfortunate because in the 21st century, that just sounds like a terrible, terrible thing, right? And, the, and of course, that's how it's realized in the 21st century. But here, it, it's it's meant to be ironic, right? Mm-hmm. As like, it's talking about a blessing. It's talking about, you know, a woman who was like, I didn't think I was going to have any kids, and now I've got so many, which is just a huge blessing. That you know, the reversal, right? Yeah. Um, the Psalms talk about our children as yeah. arrows in our quiver, and we go back yeah. to that arrow and God's. That's quiver. right. Back yep. at the beginning of the chapter, right? Yeah, yeah the arrows in the quiver, and, uh, and and then just in twenty three, right? Kings, your foster fathers; queens, your nursing mothers. Right? I mean, just th- th- this this idea of just you know the family blessing is just abundant and rich, and it seems like everything is coming together to make that happen. And there's all this lovely imagery of not only the blessing that is poured out on on you, but that your oppressors will be taken care of. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it says you know we we pray every every Sunday for the the persecuted church and and various places throughout the world where Christians are being persecuted for their faith. And the promise, of course, is even those who will persecute you will be taken care of. Yeah. 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 That, so that, that's just, right. Just keep trusting in the Lord and he will he will provide for you. And even those you know, I in some ways I'm certainly not envious, don't get me wrong, although I think that the church could be a little more persecuted here in this country. But um yeah. the reality is that our strength our, the strength of our faith grows in those times and we can see the Lord's hand in our lives so almost so much more clearly. 
Yeah. I, yeah, no, that, that's right. Clearly, right? I think that that in, in as you were, I think, uh, if I was catching your meaning, like we, we could use a little bit more of speaking out and standing up yeah. and yeah. kind of own, owning the, the flack that we would catch for it um, in this we, country. We try too hard as, you know, I'm not, I'm not castigating any, any particular church body, but the church, yeah. the visible church seems to try too hard to fit in. Yeah, right. And I think we need to recognize that we are aliens and foreigners here, and we're supposed to be this voice with the sword of our tongue right. that speaks the word of God against the... The things that are going on around us. Yeah, exactly. So going going back to those opening verses, right? To like to see us as you know Israel in Christ. That you know we do have, we we we're like this arrow or like this this sword, and that that we're meant to speak. You know, we're meant to speak out. You know, like John the Baptist, and like yeah, when you speak out, uh, they're not always going to like that that image. Um, and you know, and, and kind of along those lines, I just really quick, when I have like a minute left here. Like in verse 26, you know, speaking of lines that are unpopular, I will make your oppressors eat their own flesh and they shall be drunk with their own blood as with wine. I mean, that's interesting because that's that's spoken like a curse here. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, if you eat eat their flesh and drink their blood, I mean, that's that's like that's like a curse. That's like they're going to cannibalize themselves like they're going to kind of trip over themselves um, to lay down palm branches at your feet is kind of like almost the idea. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's so interesting then how our Lord just turns it around and he's like, well, here, eat my flesh and, and drink my blood. And we know from, from John that people heard that and they were like, are you crazy? And they left. Um, but how God just in his most profound love takes the curse that's meant for the enemies of God, right. In order to save us who were the enemies of God. Yeah. Amen. And I, and I, and I, I love the language of the Lord's supper that, uh, that turns that curse on its head. Right. And gives us the ultimate strength, even to withstand the persecution. And then yes. we should use those broad, you know, the, the sword is a broad swath uh, weapon that we can use that way. But the arrow is a targeted weapon. You know, when we see the things that that grieve God, we need to target those and speak against them. Right. Yes, right. Yeah, we, we should not. I mean, God, that's why God's given us the, the mouth that, that he has. I mean, like, uh, you know, I always I always tell children, especially you know, it might not seem this way, but the most powerful thing that God's given you is your words, mm-hmm. you know, like it's much stronger than your fists, your feet or anything else. It's the word. And it's certainly the word of Jesus Christ, you know, who had the image of the sword coming from his mouth in Revelation. Just yeah. he's the one, right? Who's really ultimately the one who wields the sword of the spirit. Amen. Thank Well, thank you, brother. Thank Always you. a pleasure. I think next time we will go back to doing a psalm, but <laughs> I enjoyed <laughs> I was, this break. So yeah, thanks. nice yeah. looking at Isaiah. So. Uh, take care and, uh, you know, have a happy Advent and Christmas season. Brother. And you as well. Blessings. Thank you, everybody. Pastor Kevin Parviz, pastor of Congregation Chayva Shalom in St. Louis, Missouri. Thanks for joining us. We thank our underwriters at the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, lhfmissions.org. Till next time, everybody, I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. Peace. Senate Office of National Mission in cooperation with Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting by Strong Word.